Let's begin with a word of prayer, can we? Father, we come to you today humbled to be called your children, children of the King and heirs of the promise, co-heirs with Christ. Father, we welcome your presence here today, and I, I pray, Lord, that our time here today will not be in vain, but I pray, Lord, that as your name is proclaimed and as your word is spoken, Lord, that the Holy Spirit will do his job of getting it into our hearts and convicting us and, and leading us deeper in our walk with you. So, Father, use the words of this sinful man this morning who's speaking. Use my words to help other sinners on their way to living a life that's pleasing to you and glorifying to your name. We ask this, Lord, in the name of Jesus, our hope, our Savior, our Redeemer. Amen. You know, Alicia and I have been blessed deeply by God with our three children. And I remember every time that she would announce to me, we're going to have a baby, there was always one thing that both of us were committed to praying for. And I would bet it's the exact same thing that you were committed to praying for your child. That you prayed for those nine months in the womb, God, please let our baby develop and grow as you intend it to develop and grow. And with every ultrasound and with every doctor's appointment and even with every checkup after they came out of the womb and they were going to the pediatrician's office, our prayer was still the same. God, please help our child to grow and develop as he or she should. And I tell you that because I think that the prayers that we pray as parents are not so different than prayers that we pray as pastors for our congregations. That God, for the people who identify this place as their home, for the people who come here for fellowship or come here for worship or come to sit under my teaching, Lord, I pray, God, that you will develop them and grow them into a more perfect spiritual image of Jesus himself. And that's the whole reason why we're in this series called Fellowship. We're identifying the steps of Jesus, the way he lived, the way he talked, what he was committed to, what were his habits. And because he said we are to be his disciples, he calls us to walk in those same footsteps. Now let me show you a, a pastor's heart, okay, that reflects what he wants for his church. Because I believe that Paul's words, as he talks to the church at Ephesus, a church that he loved, a church he spent a lot of time with, he talks to them about their growth, and he talks to them about what is key to their growth, okay? Listen to this pastoral prayer for the Ephesians in Ephesians 1.17. Paul says, I keep asking God, or I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, that he may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, here's the key, so that you may know him better, this was an important prayer for Paul. And I want you to notice what Paul didn't pray. I'm praying that you would trust God better. I'm praying that you would follow God better. I'm praying for you, Ephesians, that you will worship God better. That's not what Paul prayed. Here's what Paul prayed. I pray that you will know him better. Because out of that intimacy and out of that connection with your creator, you are going to follow him better. You are going to trust him better. You are going to worship him better, but you've got to get first things first. So that makes what I'm talking about today, friends, so critical. As we're looking at these next steps, last week we talked about worship regularly. 
This week, we're going to talk about connecting with God daily. All right? Now, let me tell you why this is so important. All right? Over the next several weeks, you're going to be hearing me give message about certain things that, again, were identifiable and noticeable in Jesus' life and should be noticeable in ours, like serving people, like doing life together with other people, like giving generously, like investing in other people for the purpose of inviting them to Jesus. And let me tell you, friends, listen, if those things don't flow out of or come out of naturally from your connection with God, first and foremost, then when you pursue these things on their own without that connection, guess what? You're going to have tainted motives for why you're doing them. Let me tell you what I mean. Your motivation to do these things is going to come out of one of two places. First, it's going to maybe come out of a place of guilt where it's like, oh, I know this is what the Lord wants me to do. And Solomon taught about that. And I know that as a follower of Christ, I need to be doing these things. And so what you end up doing is you end up burdening yourself with all these things and you get on this treadmill of works and the treadmill never stops and you're never going to do it good enough. It's the wrong motivation. Guilt is never a good motivation to do something like that. Or where it might also come from, your motivation might come from this. Well, you know what? That's what Bachelor Creek is about as a church, and I'm part of Bachelor Creek, so I better make sure that I'm doing these things because everybody else at Bachelor Creek is doing these things, so i got to make sure I pull my own weight. And what can happen then is your connection to the church can become more important than your connection to God himself. And that's the wrong motivation. So, I want to make sure that nobody, nobody in this place ends up with a cold, dead religion. My job as a pastor is to help you, to guide you to the vibrant faith that comes with worshiping a risen Lord. So, all these steps that we're going to talk about, even last week's of just worshiping regularly, all that has to flow through the filter of. It's got to be the catalyst of. It's got to be the driver of the idea of connecting with God daily. That's what all these things flow out of. So here's the question. Connecting to God, what does that look like? It's kind of an ambiguous word, right? And it might look different for different people. Well, this week on Facebook, some of you chimed in for what that means in your life. We put it out on Facebook. How do you connect with God in a meaningful way? And I got some great, beautiful answers. Thank you for those of you who took the time to say, here's what really pours life into me when I connect with God. Some of you said it's just a matter of opening up the doors, going outside, and taking in just the grandeur of creation. That you just see the majesty of God and, and everything around you, and it just wells up worshiping you to God. That's how you connect with him. Others of you said, you know what, as I'm in my car going to work, I've got a little bit of a commute, so I just put it on the Christian radio station, or I put my favorite worship CD in, and I just sing praises to God on my way to work, or when I'm exercising, or when I'm outside doing yard work, just the, the sound of worship, I just connect with God through songs that praise his name. Others of you said that you connect with God in environments like this, that, you know, you come to church, you're with God's people, you sing songs of praise, you listen to God's word being preached, and that it's here that you feel a deep connection to God. And others of you said, you know what? Because people are image bearers of God, I feel connected to God anytime I help people. 
Anytime I come alongside people, people just breathe life into me because I know that God loves them and I love being around people because I know God loves them. And so that's how I connect with God, by connecting with other people. And those are great, great things. But you know what was at the number one and number two position of the ways that you connect with God? Does anybody want to take a guess? Very good, thank you. Praying and reading the Bible, right? That's what I saw the answer mostly given, and that's what you who are here today would probably say, that's the way that I connect with God with most. Now, the thing is, that sounds a little cliche-ish, right? Praying and reading the Bible, because that's what Christians do. We pray and we read the Bible. But let me tell you what, folks, that really, really is foundational to what it means to connect with God. These other things that we talked about, you know, worshiping God, you know, through creation, worship songs and coming to church, all those things are great. But they're not enough. And they will never replace being in the word or being in prayer. But they're a great addition to those things, but should never replace those things. So let's talk today about reading the word and let's talk about prayer and how necessary they are to connecting with God. I want you to get out your bulletins, and you're going to write in this blank, okay? Because this is the summary, okay? To sum it up, we read the Bible to know God and follow him better. That's why we do it. We read the Bible so that we can know the heart, the mind of God, and so that through that we follow him and live the kind of life that he's called us to live. Because in the pages of the Bible, here's what you're going to find. You're going to find a God who has revealed himself. And that should be mind-blowing in and of itself. Because God is infinite, and he's glorious, and he's huge, and he's mysterious. But in the written pages of the word, God invites all mankind saying, listen, I am approachable, and I am knowable. You can know the mind and the heart of God all mighty and you know what through scripture he's made himself specifically known through one person in scripture through who to whom all scripture points you would take a guess of who that is jesus christ listen to how the, the author of hebrews says it. he says here in the past god spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heirs of all things and through whom he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the, get this, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. So what the author of Hebrews is saying is this. Jesus shows us who God is. Through his actions, Jesus shows us the character of God, that God is merciful, that God is kind, that God is compassionate, that God is full of grace and love, but God is also just, and God renders judgment. Jesus shows us these things. And through his life, through his actions, Jesus shows us, you know what he shows us? He shows us the kind of life that is pleasing to God because he lived the life that every human being was intended to live until we got all fouled up and messed up with sin Jesus is the picture of what a life following God really should look like 
Now let me tell you this. Jesus sets the example of what it means to be saturated by God's word. Jesus taught God's word, explained God's word. He memorized God's word. You know why? Because at his heart of hearts, he knew God's word. In fact, Jesus is called the word become flesh. That's how ingrained Jesus was in the word of God. And you know where we see this first and foremost? We see it when after his baptism, at the kickstart of his ministry, Jesus goes out into the wilderness to spend some quality time with the Father. And lo and behold, who shows up in the wilderness? El Diablo, right? There he is, waiting, watching, looking to tempt Jesus, looking to bring him down. And with every temptation that he brings, three in total... With every temptation, Jesus responds to those temptations with three words. What are those three words? It is written. Jesus reaches way back into the scriptures of the Old Testament, scriptures that he'd committed right here, scriptures that he knew, and he said, it is written. And he fought temptation, and he fought trials with one thing, the word of God. And that's biblical. Because here's what the psalmist says. The psalmist says in Psalm 119.11, the songwriter says, I have hidden your word in my heart for this one reason, for this one purpose, that I might not sin against you. I want to live the life, God, that you've called me to live. And what happens is when I have your word in my heart, I'm able to live the kind of life that's pleasing to you because I'm going to be avoiding those things that are going to set me up and trap me and tempt me and make me fall. But God, with your word right here, if I follow it, if I live by it, if I apply it, then I will not sin against you. So Jesus shows us exactly that scripture personified. Jesus makes this inherent connection. Did you catch that? Between knowing the, 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 the word of God and living a life after God that's pleasing to God. Those two are linked just like that. The question is, how does this happen? How does God's word have this kind of effect on our life? Here's what we read in Hebrews 4.12. Listen to this. For the word of God is alive and it's active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates. I mean, it goes deep down, even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It, listen to this. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Let me warn some of you this morning. Because some of you, when you approach the Bible, when you approach God's word, you just see it as something to study. You see it as something just to cram your cranium full of knowledge. It's something to notate. It's something to memorize. And so you open it up so you can dissect it. The plan is for you to open it up so that it in turn can dissect you. And it can dissect your motives and your thoughts and your attitudes and the things that you're doing in life. And it will be active in you if you let it. It's not just about 
who knows the Bible good enough to win Bible trivia. It's about who is hearing and doing the things of the word. And I'm going to tell you what, folks. This is more than just a book. It's more than just a book of principles and do's and don'ts and thou shalt and thou shalt not. This is the very voice of God given to his people. And what I love is the various shapes and forms that we can engage Scripture. It doesn't look the same for all of us. Have you noticed that? Some of you in here, because of the diversity of this crowd, here's what I know. When you engage the Word of God, here's how you do it. You like to have a physical copy of the Bible. You like to have about 50 different colored highlighters and some markers. And you open up your Bible and it looks like a rainbow, right? you got like highlighting and you've got notes and you've got underlines. I mean, your Bible is just all colorful and it's marked up, right? Because that's how you engage the Word of God. And that's beautiful. Others of you prefer more digital format. You like to use your phone to read the Bible or a tablet. Or maybe you've got some apps that you use to, to use Scripture, to read Scripture. And even on some of those apps, you can even hit the play button and it reads scripture for you while you're driving to work or while you're out on the lawn or while you're out jogging or doing something. And that's how you engage through the, the spoken word is how you engage. Others of you, you're like, man, I, I find the Bible when I open it up. It just leaves me scratching my head more than it gives me answers. And so there's things called like devotional Bibles where you open it up and it'll take a passage of scripture and it just breaks it down bit by bit by bit to where you have the aha moment. Okay, now... Now I know what they're getting at. And then others of you, maybe are more visually oriented, all right? You're not so much, you know, what you hear or what you read. You're more visual. And so you might be attracted and you might engage the scriptures in something that's become very popular in the last couple of years called Bible journaling. How many of you women are familiar with this? It's typically a woman thing. Okay, none of you are familiar, so I guess it must not be very popular. Okay, thank you, Jamie. But anyway, it's these Bibles that they've created with about this much space in the margins for you to draw, however well or unwell you can, something that was significant to you in what you just read. Let me give you a few examples of this, okay? Like here's somebody's Bible journaling. They've got Psalm 127 they're in, um, which talks about, um, you know, like arrows in the hands of a warrior so are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. And this person's just taken every one of their kids' names and they've made an arrow out of them because they know what this verse is talking about is how parents, we're responsible for kind of launching and releasing our children in life and hoping they hit the designated target of being God-like, Christ-like, okay? So this person, every time they turn to Psalm 127 now, they're going to see their kids' as, their kids' as names on those arrows and that means so much to them and you, they got the verse highlighted right there, okay? Then we got another one as well. It comes from Matthew 5, let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and praise your Father who's in heaven. So this person's like, well, we need to be lanterns. We need to be this light in a dark world. So the, the great thing about this is that nobody's engaging of Scripture is going to look the same. And that's great because the, the point isn't how do you engage Scripture. The point is to engage Scripture, however meaningful it, it, it is for you to do that. So here's the next step, all right? Starting this Tuesday, October 1st, we're challenging the whole church to just start reading the book of Matthew through the month of October. Matthew's got 28 chapters. October has 31 days. 
So you got a little bit of wiggle room there in case for some reason you can't do it on a certain day. 28 chapters in 31 days. Now let me tell you something about the book of Matthew. Matthew has a very, very, very special place in my heart. It was when I was 16 years old that I picked up a Bible and I read the Gospel of Matthew, folks, and it rocked my world. Because it was in Matthew and him telling the story of Jesus and I got to hear the words of Jesus. It was in Matthew that I engaged the word of God. And you know what I understood for the very, very first time? I recognized who God is. And I recognized what it is that God desires of me if I'm going to follow after him. So Matthew just undid this young man at that age. Because I recognized for the very first time what I'd never recognized in my life before. But that's what the Word of God does. It helps us to recognize who our Father is. Think about it this way. Do you remember, parents, when you brought that little baby home from the hospital and after a couple of months, you know, what the ultimate goal is is that when you look at your kid and they hear your voice, that they're going to recognize you, right? And because I remember about that two-month, three-month period, uh, Alicia would hand one of the kids off of me and the kid would kind of look at me with like a blank stare. You know, they were like, I know she's the milk woman, but who are you? You know, it's like, I know what she's got, but who are you, guy? You know, but then after a season of me talking to my child, showing the child my face and, and constantly being around them and, and uttering things to them, there came a point in time when my child recognized the face and the voice of their father. But that only happened because I took time to make myself present, to make myself visible, to speak to my child, and finally, they recognize me. Oh, man, that melts your heart the first time you realize your children know who their father is. They know who's dad. And you know what? For the last two months, I've been able to see my granddaughter, Aislinn, about every day of her life, just about every day. And I am so looking forward to the day when Aislinn recognizes the face and the sound of her pops. I thought I had it the other day. So I was talking to her and looking at her and her face lit up and she cracked a smile and I thought I had it. But then I realized she was just passing gas. So it wasn't me. See, something else felt really good. But I'm, we're getting close to her recognizing her pops, Okay. In the same way, though, folks, listen, your Heavenly Father, my Heavenly Father, is so delighted when we recognize Him more and more and more and more because of the time we're spending in His Word and because of the time we're spending in prayer. And the more we read about Him, the more we recognize Him in His Word, guess what it's going to result in? I promise you, more joy, more hope. Because you're going to see Him for the God that He is. That he's a God who's compassionate, he's a God who's long-suffering, he's kind, he's merciful, he's full of grace, he's full of love. But he is also a God of justice and a God of judgment, as I said well. But our human hearts long for all those things, right? So you spend time getting to know him 
you will recognize the face of your father and your life will be so much better. Because listen, not only does God want you to engage him in one way, he wants a two-way engagement where he speaks to us through his word. And guess what? He wants us to speak back to him through prayer. So let me talk to you for just a moment about prayer, all right? That if we summed up prayer in just a simple sentence, again, get your bulletin out. I'm going to give you something here, okay? That prayer is our way of admitting our dependency on God, and it's our way of pursuing intimacy with God. That through prayer, through dependency, we're saying, God, I'm relying on you. I need you. I'm counting on you. I can't do this alone. I'm looking to you. And through intimacy, we're saying, God, I want to know you more. I want to know your heart. I want to know your mind. I, I want you to know me as your child. I want to talk to you as a child talks to their father. I want us to be close, God. So with those two things in mind, dependency, I need you, and intimacy, I want to grow closer to you, I want you to listen kind of with fresh ears to a psalm that probably all of us have heard at some point in our life before, probably at a funeral, but I want you to listen to it with fresh ears, one of dependency and intimacy, okay? Listen to the psalmist. He says here in Psalm 23, starting at verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Did you see the dependency there? He makes me, he leads me, he guides me, he comforts me. You know, I lack nothing because I'm depending on my shepherd. And then the intimacy, did you catch that? He says, you are with, you're with me. I feel your goodness and love. They're all around me. I feel your anointing presence, and I'm going to dwell with you forever. We are tight, God. You're my shepherd. Now, let's talk about Jesus. Because just as Jesus demonstrated the inherent connection, as the psalmist did, between having God's word and living a life pleasing to God, Jesus is going to show us what it's like to have dependency on God and intimacy with God. And what I love about Jesus, contrary to other people who teach you about something that they don't even do themselves, is that Jesus actually follows through and we see these patterns in his life that are consistent with what he teaches. All right? Here's what you're going to see. With every important defining moment in Jesus' life, you're going to find him praying. Let, let me show you, okay? Get ready for a little bit of a, of a horse race here because we're going at it, all right? Luke chapter 3. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. So we find right there at his baptism, Jesus is doing what? praying let's keep going forward Luke 6 verse 12 
One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. So before he even chooses the 12, he spends all night praying about the selection of the 12. So let's keep looking more. Mark 1.35, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Matthew 14, 23, after he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside to pray to, by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. Now, Luke chapter 9. Do you remember what monumental event happens in Luke 9? Transfiguration. Okay, listen to this story. Verse 28, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying... The appearance of his face changed and the clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. You know why that's weird? Because the two guys who show up have been dead for like a thousand years. Moses and Elijah. And so it's not like Jesus just goes up on this mountain and snaps his finger and clicks his heels and these guys show up. He is praying, reflecting the glory of God. And Moses, who represents the law, and Elijah, who represents the prophets, show up amidst Jesus' prayer. Luke 5, 16, but Jesus often withdrew. Notice it there. He often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Let me show you why that's significant. Let me show you why there's so much there than what we give it at, at face value, okay? Because right before verse 16, let's read verse 15 that preempted him to get away to lonely places and pray, okay? Here's what we read. Yet the news about him spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. So, so what that's showing you, friends, is this. It's not just during times that are the, the hardest times that Jesus prayed, but it was during the times when his ministry was booming, when people were coming, when he had all measurable, uh, visible signs of success, when everything was great. Jesus got away to pray. Because Jesus is living in this constant dependency upon God. No matter what the numbers say, no matter who's coming, no matter what the papers are writing about him, God, I'm depending upon you. And God, I'm seeking intimacy with you. And out of that, everything else flowed. Matthew 26, 36. We're getting close to the end of his life here. It says, then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and two of the sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, listen to this, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed. Two more. While Jesus is on the cross, nails in hands and feet, he prays two more times. Luke 23, 34, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. In verse 46, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. 
Do you see a pattern? At his baptism, praying. Choosing the 12, praying. Transfiguration, glory of God, praying. Late at night, praying. Early in the morning, praying. Before the cross, praying. On the cross, praying. Good times, praying. Hard times, praying. We can see from Jesus that prayer was not just some spiritual discipline. They said, okay, I got 10 minutes to do this now. It's, it's, it's my time to do this now. That's not what it was for Jesus. It was his way of life. So even though we see him walking around wherever he goes, it's almost like we never see him off his knees. Because everywhere he goes, no matter what the circumstance, he's always getting away to pray. seems like for Jesus, there's just this constant connection, constant communion with the Father where he never says amen. The prayer just keeps going on and on and on and on. And let me tell you something about Jesus' prayers. They didn't just revolve around meals and tragedy. Do you hear what I'm saying? Jesus' prayers did not just revolve around meals and really dark times. You know, thank you, Lord, for this food, and help us, God, get out of this. Uh Uh-uh. As you saw, he was praying good times, bad times, early in the morning, late at night. His life was encompassed with prayer, folks. And if we're going to be these doppelgangers of Jesus, if we're going to look like, act like, talk like, serve like, live like, love like, give like, if we're going to do that, The only way we're going to do it is the same way Jesus did. With a constant dependency and constant intimacy with the Father. This two-way exchange. Father speaks to me through his word. I speak to Father through my words. That's the only way it's going to happen, folks. And Jesus is proof. You know what I love about the time of communion that we share together? is that each week when we hold cup and loaf, we're reminded of these two exact same things. I'm reminded of my sheer dependency upon the grace of God. I'm reminded of what Paul said when he says, it is by grace you have been saved through faith, not by works, lest any man should boast. That when I come to God, I'm coming only on the merits of what Jesus did. Because in and of myself, I have nothing good to offer my creator. All I can do is plead the goodness of Christ who is good on my behalf. And that's enough. That's sufficient. But it makes me realize what utter dependency I have upon him for that to happen. And communion is also, listen to me, it's a time of intimacy. It's a time for me to remember week after week after week that he endured that so that there could be this two-way exchange. He endured that so that I could have relationship and connection with my father. That's how much he loved me. That he was willing to take that big of a step, die that kind of a death, live the kind of life he lived because he so wants to spend time with me. And you. And we're reminded of that. At the price he paid for intimacy. And so we could know each week and remember each week, 
It's not a treadmill. It's not you working your way toward me. I've done everything. You're dependent upon me. Live in that and be at peace with that. So I'm going to ask right now, if you'll just bow and join me in a word of prayer as we approach this time together to remember our dependency and intimacy with our Father represented at this time. Lord, we thank you for your word, how it breathes life into us, how it gives us hope and it gives us joy and it shows us who you are. And Father, I'm afraid that we have come up with a definition of you based upon the world's view of you instead of who you have revealed yourself to be in Scripture. I pray, Lord, that the people of this church will have a a newfound love and a newfound passion for your word and that they'll dig into it and they'll see how utterly dependent we are on you, Lord, and our lives will reflect that. And they'll see how intimate we can be with you And we see the cost that you were willing to pay so you could be intimate with us. So, Father, I pray that we will be people of your word. I pray that we will be people of prayer. Because, Lord, without those, everything that we try to do, everything that we try to be, is going to be in vain. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If I am in you, you are in me. You will bear much fruit, but apart from me, you can do nothing. So help this connection, Lord, to be central to our daily lives as we watch the fruit flow out of us because of it. We thank you, Lord. We give this time to you, celebrating everything you've done on our behalf and the cost and the price you were willing to pay so that we could have what we have. In Christ's name, amen.